Lord, for God's providence there. All right, take your Bibles. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians as we begin our study here. Continuing on in 1 Thessalonians, chapter 3. The text this morning will be the first nine verses. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. We're looking this morning at Paul's concern for the Thessalonian church. And we'll have five applications, five things as we go through this text that I want to bring out to you about our relationship with the church, our relationship with one another. And just quickly, as we begin here this morning, you need to place the book of 1 Thessalonians into its context. So I want to remind you that the church of Thessalonica was, was born during the time of Paul's second missionary journey. His first missionary journey was in the region of Galatia. Remember how, as I preached through Galatians this past fall, that, um, that Paul went into the region of Galatia, planted church after church. He went up in that region because of an eye disease or some type of disease that was debilitating. It wasn't his intention to, do, to go to Galatia, but he did. And along the way, he created riots and rebellions. And in Lystra, he was stoned and left for dead, dragged out of the city. Do you remember that? So you're talking broken bones, wounds, bandages, scars on his body, all for the sake of the gospel. And no sooner did he leave the region of the Galatians when false teachers came in and said, Paul didn't give you the whole story. It's not faith alone. It's faith plus works. And Paul wrote the book of Galatians, a scathing letter uh, emphasizing the gospel, justification by grace through faith alone. Now, Paul is on his second journey. And on his second journey, he makes his way across Asia Minor. His sandals are right there in the Aegean Sea. And he has this Macedonian vision. A man from Macedonia, which is the region of Philippi and Thessalonica, appears to Paul in a dream and says, Paul, bring the gospel to us. And so Paul gets in a a boat, goes across the Aegean Sea up to the upper uh, tip of it to the city of Neapolis. And there he brings the gospel to Europe. That's Europe today. So he brings the gospel now to Europe, and he starts. He begins a church there in Philippi. And while he's in Philippi, the Bible says in Acts 16 that he's beaten with many rods. He is laid upon with many stripes. So if you're beaten with a rod, with a rod, and and you have many stripes, your back is laid wide open. You have scars. You have blood gushing. You have broken bones. You have bandages. You have splints. He's got eye problems. He's got all sorts of issues. He's not looking like the most attractive pastoral candidate as he comes into your town. But what does he do? He goes from Philippi, and he gets into Thessalonica, and there he starts the church. He's in the synagogue, and then many Jewish people, many Gentiles, and many of the prominent women are born again. But then... The Jewish people get mad at him, and they start a big revolt and a big riot, and he he is chased out of there at night. And we're going to trace the journey today just to be able to... Let's do that right now. Let's do that first. So hold your place here. Maybe put a bookmark or a piece of paper, and turn with me to Acts 17, because I want you to see Paul's concern for the church, and I want you to have a concern for the church. Acts chapter 17. We better, let's do this first. So you have a, a platform, you have a background in which to set the text of 1 Thessalonians 3. Acts chapter 17. I'm grieved. I'm grieved beyond measure. I've been a believer since 1993. And since day one, I have loved the church. All right? I don't love everything about the church. 
Sometimes we're mistreated and sometimes we're hurt and wounded and people say things and people do things and people leave and people come and and it's painful. But I'll tell you what, I have loved the church since day one. God put that in me and maybe that's why I'm a pastor. I don't know, but, but God put it in my heart to love the church, to be concerned about the church. No matter what the church does, no matter how she hurts me or whatever, I love the body of believers. I really believe that the church... This is the age of the church. This is called the church age. Israel is set on a shelf, and now God is working with Jew and Gentile in one body called the church that we're not lone ranger Christians. We're not supposed to just get our health and growth sitting at home by ourselves doing our own thing. We are a corporate body. We are called a family of believers, brothers and sisters, where God is our Father. We're called um, in 1 Peter a living temple where we're all bricks, building up a temple for the dwelling place of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 2 says that when we gather together corporately like this, the Holy Spirit is here in a a certain sense, in a different way. So there's a local church gathering. Of course, the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 3, dwells in in my life, in my body, 1 Corinthians 6 as well. But in 1 Corinthians 3 and Ephesians 2, the Holy Spirit also dwells in a special way when we gather together. So if we don't gather together, then the Holy Spirit's not there in that sense. But when the church gathers publicly, it's something very beautiful. I also know that our spiritual gifts only come alive in my service one to another. So I can only experience the joy of using my spiritual gifts in the context of a church setting, in context of a body of believers that I can minister to, all right? So the church, see, when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die to say, good, now I can have the church meet once a week for an hour. Boom, check it off their list. That's why I died. No, that's, that's not why he died. He didn't die so that we could have a pastoral staff that could be paid by the offerings as well as electric lights and heat and we could have a building and pew chairs and we could have a tent outside and we could have vans and buses in the garage jesus didn't die so we can have all of these things so sometimes i think we almost lose sight of what the church is all about and i'm grieved that so many people think the church i can just take it or leave it and if i don't like what goes on here i can just simply pick up and go somewhere else i just can go wherever i choose based on what i want and what i prefer rather than sticking it out on love and grace. All right? But in 1 Peter chapter 2, Paul said, or Peter says that the church is a chosen generation. We're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We are a body of believers, a family of believers that are called to proclaim the praises of God who has called me out of darkness and into light. So we are here to be equipped to go out and sing and tell the praises of Jesus to a dark world that we once were in darkness and now we're in light. That's the joy of the church. That's why we're here. We're being equipped and built up. We're edifying one another using our spiritual gifts so we can all go out and reach lost men and women who are going to hell and they will suffer an eternal punishment without Jesus Christ. And we have the good news. Ephesians chapter 3 says this. Ephesians 3 says that the principalities and powers in the heavenlies are looking down upon the church and they see the manifold wisdom of God being played out. Listen, our church, our local church, as well as other local churches that are following and obeying the Bible, we are like mirrors where the glory of God hits the church while we're working together 
and we radiate the glory of God, so the radiant heavenly beings, the, the angels, the principalities and powers of heaven, look down on planet Earth, and they see a bright light coming out of Hermantown. Wow, there is the glory of God in Hermantown, Minnesota, being displayed in our love and our care for one another. It's, it's phenomenal that Ephesians 3 says, the church is the place that the heavenlies look upon, all the angels look upon us to see how is God's wisdom being played out? How are these people who have never seen Christ, who now believe in him, how are they living out their daily lives? It's, it's a great thing. In Ephesians 5, Paul says the church is the bride and Jesus is the bridegroom. And Jesus is making us a holy and a blameless bride that will be fit for him for all eternity. See, the church is where God wants us to grow and serve and love Because you can say you love God all you want, but 1 John 5 says, if you don't love your brothers whom you can see, you can't tell me that you love God whom you cannot see. So where do we demonstrate our love for one another? Right here, in the context of the local church. So, look at Paul. This is why he does what he does. He's proclaiming the gospel. He's seeing people rescued from darkness and from sin and from death. Uh, eternal punishment and death, and he's seeing them brought into the kingdom of light. Acts chapter 17, verse 10. Then the brethren, these are the Thessalonians, then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Oh, by night. Listen, we've got streetlights, lampposts, we've got all headlights on our cars, we've got all sorts of light. They didn't have that back then. Torches, maybe. But here they are, they're meeting as a church, the Thessalonians, they've been working all day, they're in a building like maybe somebody's house or something, and they're like, Paul, you've got to leave tonight, you can't stay one more day. You'll be dead, Jason will be dead, he had to give up some, some security, some money so that your life could be spared, we've got to get you out of town right now, no saying goodbye, just leave. And then Paul walks out the door, and they hurry him down, and they bring him to this city called Berea. Well, what does he do in Berea? Now, remember, he just got kicked out of Thessalonica after great, great riots and revolts. Look at verse 10. When they arrived, where did they go? They went into the synagogue of the Jews. Same story, second verse. He's going into Berea doing the exact same thing, preaching the gospel in the synagogue. What happens? Verse 11, the fair-minded Bereans, they were more fair-minded than the Thessalonians in, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent men as well as uh, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. So they came from Thessalonica into Berea stirred up the crowds, and now Paul has to leave again. He's just like a man on the run. Verse 14, immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. So they brought him to the sea now, but both Silas and Timothy remain there. Paul's little ministry team is now split. Timothy and Silas, they stay with the Bereans. Paul's all by himself. They bring him down to a ship, get in the ship, pull anchor, get this man down to Athens. And Paul goes all by himself down to Athens. So verse 15, those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens. So he went by ship all the way down to the bottom of the um, country of Greece, to Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed. I mean, he didn't want to be without his ministry team. Do you see? Paul's concerned about his ministry team. He's like, get me, Silas and Timothy, get, get up to Berea, 
Tell Silas and Timothy, get down here. I need them in Athens. I need them desperately. So now he's in Athens all by himself. Can you picture that? Remember, his body has been broken from Galatia, from all the churches in Galatia, from Philippi, from Thessalonica, and now from Berea. He is aching. He's tired, sleepless nights. He's sore. And what's he concerned about? He's concerned about the gospel, and he's concerned about the church. Now, let's keep going. Verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. Listen, Paul looked at the city of Athens, and his spirit was just provoked. It was like irritated. It was agitated. It was stirred up. It wasn't at rest. It wasn't at peace. He looked at Athens, and he just got distressed in his soul, his very spirit. Why? When he saw that the city was given over to idols. It was said by a man named Petrenius, it's easier to find a god than a man in Athens. In Athens, archaeologists have determined there were 30,000 statues, idol statues, 30,000 in Athens. Paul looked at Athens, and all he saw were gods and goddesses and statues. And he was irritated. Why was he so agitated? Because the men and women of Athens were going to hell. They were without Jesus Christ. They were lost. They were without hope. They were without God in this world. And they were going to perish in the lake of fire. And he just couldn't do nothing while he was waiting for Silas and Timothy. Can I ask you a question? When you look at Hermantown, I mean, do we look at nice houses and cars and say, wow, I'm so happy for Hermantown? Or do we look at people in Hermantown and say, I'm, I'm stirred up because many of these men and women are going to go to hell in a lake of fire for all eternity. And we need to go and rescue them. We need to show them the truth and the life and Jesus. Paul was so agitated with Athens. And so he reasoned in the synagogue, in the mar- and then in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. If they showed up, part of God's providence, they heard the gospel from Paul. And then we know the whole story of Mars Hill and all of that. Go to chapter 18 with me just to finish this up because I want you to see what he's been doing. Remember, he was kicked out of Thessalonica at night. He was kicked out of Berea. He's brought down to the sea. He goes to the city of Athens. He's all by himself. He's stirred up and Timothy and Silas do show up. And now he goes over, over, um, but now in chapter 18. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Okay, here's what we know. While he was in Athens, he sent Silas and Timothy away. He sent them away. And now he goes to Corinth all by himself. When he goes to Corinth, 1 Corinthians 2 says that he was full of fear and trembling. Do you blame him? He's by himself. Every place he's gone has been a riot has been some type of bodily injury and some rejection of the gospel. He is all by himself. He is full of fear, and the Bible says he is shaking. He is so afraid. You, know, you think of Paul being some dynamic preacher who is in full assurance of himself? At times, he was also full of trembling, afraid to even speak the name of Jesus. Okay, do you see what's going on? Now, with that, go back to 1 Thessalonians for my first point, and then I'll just give you the five as we go through the text. 1 Thessalonians 3. We see what, he's, what he did, but now I want you to see his heart. I want you to see what's going on in the man's heart. Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, 
Paul could no longer endure being separated from the Thessalonians. He says this, We thought it good to be left in Athens alone. Remember, Paul was in Athens. He called for Silas and Timothy. Now there's three of them. And he's happy because he's got the three. But he's not happy. Why? Because where does Paul want to be? Paul wants to be with the Thessalonians. He wants to be face-to-face with them. He wants to be back in their midst. Do you see Paul's love for the church? It wasn't a take-it-or-leave-it thing. It wasn't like, well, who cares about the Thessalonians? I've got a thousand other churches I could start. No, their lives were intertwined. The church, they were, they were of one heart and of one mind. Paul says, I could no longer endure it. So my first point, um, we have to have a great concern for one another. We have to have a great love for one another. So we are commanded to love each other. That's it. No matter what, we love each other. No matter what happens, no matter anything that goes on, we love one another. Paul says, when I couldn't endure it any longer, I thought it was best to be left alone in Athens. I was willing to be left alone if, Paul and, if uh, Timothy could come up to Thessalonica. Look at chapter, uh, verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2. Here's what he says. Paul says, and I sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. Paul says, listen, I was so concerned for your church, for the Thessalonians, that he said to Timothy one day in Athens, you know what? Leave me alone. Let me be here by myself. Silas, you go up to Macedonia. You go up to Philippi. Um, Timothy, you go to Thessalonica. He cared so much about the church since he couldn't be there physically he sent the very next best thing. Timothy, who's called a brother, a fellow minister, and a fellow worker of God. No greater titles that you could give to anybody. Now, when Paul Paul wanted to see the Philippians, and he couldn't, he did the same thing. He said to the Philippians, I'm sending you Timothy because there's no one who cares for your souls like him. Oh, you guys, do you love the church? I know we have to love the Lord. We do. We love the Lord because he died for us and rose again. We love him. But the Lord also said, if we don't love one another, we don't love him. So he puts us in the context of, we have to love one another. And Paul says, when I could not endure it any longer, we thought it best if I stay in Athens alone and we send Timothy to you for two reasons. Number one, to establish you in the faith. Timothy was going to show up to the church and tell them more of the doctrine, more what do we believe? What do we believe about God? What do we believe about the Bible? the Old Testament, what do we believe about Jesus Christ and salvation? And so Timothy's job was to go and teach the church, to establish them in solid doctrine. How do you live? Listen, do you know how tough it was for the Thessalonians to leave their pagan gods? They would, meet, they would have a family celebration, and instead of bowing down to a certain god in their house or a certain goddess, they would have to say, nope, I'm, we're never doing that again, even if it makes mom and dad mad. Even if my brother wants to turn me into the Roman authorities, I'm not going to bow down to another statue. You would go to the marketplace and to buy some bread or to buy some grain, you would have to bow down to a certain god or goddess, and you would simply say, I refuse to do that. They needed, they needed somebody to come along and say, this is right, you are doing what's right. There's only one God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Timothy goes to strengthen. The word establish means to strengthen them. And encourage them. The word means to come alongside. To come alongside to show them you must obey. Here's how you obey Jesus. 
Here's what it's going to look like. Your brother's going to hate you. He might turn you into the authorities, and by nighttime, you might be in prison. But do it anyways. Do, how would you like that? When you leave here at, in about 20 minutes or 25 minutes, you're going to be persecuted by the world, but put up with it anyways. Some of you might end up in prison by 2 o'clock this afternoon. That's okay. Even Jesus suffered for us. You can do it. When you get out, we're going to meet in such and such a place, and we'll sing praises to Jesus. Can you imagine that type of life? So Timothy's up there. He's establishing, and he's strengthening them. In our age, in our modern culture, we look at church as something that we get something from. I want it my way. I want it when I want it, and I want it convenient. And if it's not my way and convenient, I don't want anything to do with the church. If somebody steps on my toes or if somebody doesn't do, forget it. I'm not ever coming back here again. I've got a right to not be here anymore and go someplace else and really enjoy myself. That music, that was some of the worst music I've ever heard. I'm going someplace where I love the music and the music appeals to me. This is the way we think. What was, what's the actual way we should be thinking? We are, we are connected together because of the gospel. We are going to stand together or die together, and we're going to go out and give the gospel to our, our neighbors and our people right here. This is why we're a body of Christ. This is why we're his family. This is why we're knit together as a chosen generation. And so, number one, we have to have a great concern, a great love for one another. Number two, we sacrifice for one another. Paul is down in Athens, and he just sacrifices. He says, yep, I don't want to be in Athens alone, but I'm going to. I'm going to sacrifice my comfort, my plan, my whole ministry team in order for the Thessalonians to be encouraged and built up and in order for the Philippians to be taken care of. You just a sacrifice. You just go above and beyond for one another, don't you? That's what the church is all about. It's a life of sacrifice. It's not a life of I want to come and get something, and if I don't get something, it's the consumer mentality. You know that we're, we're built up from back in the late 60s when I was a child. Um, I was just raised up to be a consumer. Everything is out there for me to consume. Eat it, it's mine. Take it, buy it, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. I just consume, consume, consume. You come to the church with often the same mentality of, it's all about me. It's I'm the consumer, and I want my goods. But rather, we should be a communer where we're fellowshipping with one another, fellowshipping with Jesus. And Paul says, I'm willing to sacrifice my comfort, my own friendships. Silas, who knows, Timothy might die on this trip. I may never see him again. But Timothy, or Paul says, nope, I'm willing to sacrifice, to give. Um, Hey, there was a man named, in 1858, a man named John Patton. Him and his wife were, felt God called him down to the South Pacific Islands and to a bunch of cannibals. So he takes his wife down there and, um, and his infant daughter, and she dies, and the baby dies, and he buries them. And then he gets remarried, and for the next 41 years, he goes and preaches the gospel to the cannibalistic tribes of the South Pacific Islands. Why? Because even right now, about 80% of that group of people are born-again believers, are Christians. From 1858, he went and he sacrificed all the comforts of home, all the, I mean, he could have, he could have avoided disease and, all, and cannibalism. People said, John, don't go. You're crazy. You're going to be eaten by people. 
You're going to end up in somebody's stew. Why would you go to cannibalistic people? And he's like, they need the gospel. And he told one man, I think his name was Mr. Dickerson, he said, listen, you are an old man and already fit for the grave. And when you die, your body will go here and it will be eaten by worms. So whether I go down there and live my life for the honor and glory of God and I'm eaten by cannibals, or if you're here eaten by worms, we both rise from the dead in the day of resurrection and I will give my life for the service of my God. Now that's like the idea of sacrifice. It's about the gospel. It's about others. It's not about life and my privilege, my rights, my priorities, what I want, the type of thing. No, it's about what does Jesus Christ want for the glory of his name in this community. So we love one another, and we sacrifice for one another. Verse 3, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. Timothy was sent, so nobody, this word shaken, if you like dogs, you'll like this. It means to wag your tail, like a dog wags its tail, agitated, and you know how little dogs are. They just, their tail goes back and forth, shaking all over the place. Paul says, I don't want you to be shaken like a dog's tail, all over the place, by your afflictions. You know, f- trials do that. Trials shake us, and we say, mm, I don't know if I want to do this anymore, right? We went through the book of Job recently. We understand about trials and afflictions. Paul says, I don't want any one of you to be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. You and I are appointed to suffer in the world, to be persecuted for our faith in the world. So number one, we love each other. Number two, we sacrifice for one another, our plans and our comforts and our agenda. And number three, we suffer together. We suffer together. It's not just one person going out preaching the gospel and suffering. It's all of us are suffering together. We're all standing up to our community saying the exact same thing. And whatever they do to us, they do to all of us. That's the way, that's the way it is. So Paul says, don't, don't be shocked. You were appointed to this. Now, we don't have time to go into it, but Mark chapter 10, here's what Jesus said. There is coming a day when you'll be taken before governors. You'll be um, ridiculed by the synagogue leaders. Brother will turn brother over to authorities. Mother and father will be killed because of their faith by their own children. All of these persecutions will come upon us because we believe in Jesus. We're going to expect family members not to understand. When I was first born again, my family didn't understand. I wanted to bring a Bible everywhere, and I didn't want to do necessarily what our family did. I just wanted to talk about Jesus and read the Bible, and they'd be like, ah, oh, you know, it was really annoying to them at first. But, but now many of them, right? <laughs> Melissa remembers those days. Wendy knows too. Wendy, you know, remember those days? And I mean, it was like, you know, I felt, but that's just, that's just life. I mean, if we're just appointed to, we're going to be different. We're going to talk different, think different, and act different than the world. Do you think the world loved Jesus? No, they crucified him. And if they didn't love our Savior, if we act like him, they're not going to love us either. They will hate us. Even teaching at the public school, I mean, I can't tell you how many times they've stolen my Bible. They've thrown my Bible down the hallway. They've mocked me. The kids will say all sorts of things. It's like, well, that comes with it. If I didn't say anything about Jesus, then they'd have no reason to say anything about me. But the very fact that I bring a Bible, carry a Bible, my Bible's on my desk, a lot of kids just don't like it. And when I, in the beginning of the year, I'll talk about Jesus, and they'll say, Mr. Weta, it's illegal to talk about Jesus. It's against the law. I'm like, what law is that, and what country do you live in? And you know, I don't use my class time, my teaching time for it, but before and after class, I'll talk about Jesus, and the kids will bring him up to me. I don't use my teaching time, but I use other times that are appropriate in the hallway and before school. 
And they're like, well, you can't talk about that. I'm like, oh, come on. Of course I can talk about it. It's a free country. Separation of church and state, that's a huge one. And I'm like, what? I'm like, you, I can talk about Muhammad all day and never get in trouble. I bring up the name of Jesus, and all of a sudden I've got 10 petitions against me or whatever. You know what I'm saying? The world is not going to like us. We just have to live with it. We're appointed to this type of thing. So we suffer together. Um, verse 5, for this reason, he repeats himself, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. Listen, our greatest enemy is the devil. He wants to divide and destroy this church. You know how he could do it? Outside persecution. He could have outside persecution. When I was in Israel, one of our last times, I don't know, a couple times ago when we were in Israel, we were at Pastor Menno's church, and he even said, we're going to be more evangelistic out on the streets with the Jewish people of our community in Jerusalem. We're going to be more evangelistic, but be ready. They're going to throw rocks through the windows, so we're going to put wire up on the windows because they will throw rocks at our building when we start upping the evangelism. He knew to expect persecution, and you know, Satan does that. Satan would love to destroy this church with some type of outside persecution. But I think outside persecution, honestly, would only help us. Not that I want it, but I think it would only help us. Then everybody here would have to decide, do you want in or out? And if you want in, you're all in. And if you want out, you're all out, and there you go. we got a stronger church, because we're all in. Right now, maybe not everybody's in. But if there was outside persecution, we'd be all in. Another way Satan can destroy the church by, by tempting us? Division from within. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? They're seeing other people get credit for giving and being generous, and they're like, well, let's do that, but let's not give all. And they had this little plan, and here they drop dead. God says, I don't want division in my church. I don't want people elevating themselves. And boom, they're both they're dragged out and... Listen, Satan has so many methods to destroy this church. Are you guys willing to let Satan destroy this church? Okay, do you want Satan to destroy this church? No, of course not. Of course not. So Paul says, listen, I was so concerned about the Thessalonians that the devil had gotten in and divided the church, inward fighting, people disagreeing, um, outside persecution. There's all sorts of ways Satan can do that. Verse 6, but now... That Timothy has come to us from you. Remember, he's in Corinth. And now Timothy has come back and brought us good news of your faith. All right, listen. The word good news, gospel. When I say gospel, what does it mean? Death, burial, resurrection, right? Here, this is the only time Paul does this. Paul says, uh, Timothy's report to me was the gospel. It was good news. Same word, evangelical, you know. The whole idea of proclaiming good news, it's the only time Paul uses it apart from the cross, was Timothy's good report of the Thessalonians. He so badly wanted to make sure the Thessalonians were still steadfast, still thriving in their faith. When Timothy came back, he said, good news, Paul. They're still good. They're still solid in the faith. Paul said, that's good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you. Here's my fourth point. We're to have a great love for each other. We're to sacrifice for each other. Number three, we're to suffer together. Number four, we're to encourage each other. We are to encourage each other by living godly. Somebody is not living godly, what a discouragement. We're living godly, great encouragement. So Paul says, I've been greatly encouraged. When I heard Timothy's report that you're such a solid church, you're still 
desiring to see us, and we want to see you. Verse 7, therefore, brethren, in all of our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. Paul's big heartache was the church, whether they were growing or not. He just cared whether they were spiritually thriving or not. Do you care whether this church thrives or not? Sometimes we care more whether we have the money in the bank or not, but we really should be concerned, is everybody growing? Is everybody thriving? Is everybody loving the Lord and experiencing his greatness? So therefore, verse 7, we were comforted, we were encouraged, we were strengthened concerning you by your faith. And then verse 8, listen to this. For now we live, we really live, if you stand fast in the Lord. Paul's whole quality of life was affected by how believers lived. And if they were steadfast in their faith, Paul felt like he was alive, like he could go on with life. And if they were spiritually anemic, Paul was just distressed beyond measure. Do you feel that way about the church? That if the church is spiritually strong and people are getting saved and discipled, that you feel like, wow, we can live, we can have victory in this world. And then if, if the church is hurting and not healthy, don't you just feel like you've been hit like with a big board and you almost can't stand up? That is for me as a pastor. That's exactly how I feel. Which makes the ministry such a heavy burden because it's always the biggest concern is how is the church doing? How are they doing spiritually? Are they walking with the Lord? Are they leaving? Are they rejecting? What are they doing? How are they living? Paul says, for now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. And then the last one, verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. He now cries out in prayer, and he says, how can we thank God for your response to the truth? There's just no amount of thanks that we can even say. So my last point, we pray, we pray together. We pray for one another, we pray. I think the greatest power in our church is the ability to pray for one another and lift one another up. You only pray for those that you love, right? It's hard to pray for somebody you've never heard of, but you get to know them and you talk to them. Like this past week, we've had some experiences at the hospital um, uh, with Rosella, of course, just we love her, but I, I've, I've known Rosella, you know, for a long time. But there's been complete strangers that we've visited that... It'd be easy to say, I want you to pray for these people, but you don't even know them. And you'd be like, all right, I'll pray for them. But it might be a, but if you sat with them and you, and you listened to their talk and you heard the tone of their voice and you saw the tears, then when I were to, if I were to say, well, would you pray for them? You'd be like, oh, you bet I will. We, and so when we pray together, we're really a close church. Wednesday night when we pray together, that's the close church. That's intimacy. That's beauty. So Paul says, verse 9, for what thanks can we render to God for you? How could we thank God for your response to truth, for walking in truth? For all the joy, look at that word joy, with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. See, the church just brought great joy to Paul or great grief. That was it. Great joy or great grief. So do you love the church? Are you concerned about the church? Are you willing to sacrifice and encourage and invest your time and your energy, your comforts for the spiritual well-being of this church? Spiritually, we want people to be 
in love with Jesus. We want them to be serving and involved and participating. That's the beauty of the church. Remember, this group right here is what God has called for, in order to get his name broadcast in this whole region. We are the good news bearers. We are the ones that have the ability to give the good news to our neighbors and to people around here. All right? That's what we're called to do. So we're here to do that. We're here to love one another, demonstrate that, learn how to evangelize, learn how to love one another. We do it. We live out our life before the community, and they see our church. That's why this coming up, Hermantown Summerfest, Hermantown is going to get an opportunity to see our church in action, to see our church being lived out in the community. It's a great opportunity, great experience. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. We just think about Paul's great concern for the Thessalonians. He, w- he couldn't even endure another day or even another breath without knowing if the Thessalonians were living for the Lord or not. So he was willing to send his own teammate, Silas, to one region of Macedonia and Timothy to the Thessalonians just to hear a report of if they were still serving you and loving you. And Father, we need to have that great passion for each other, that we would really care whether, each other, whether we're serving the Lord, whether we're living for him. So please, Father, give us that heart and that love for one another. And then give us the ability to sacrifice ourselves and our comforts and our desires for one another. And please, strengthen and establish this church. May this church be faithful and loyal to Jesus until the day of the rapture. We are so thankful that You have put us together here in this community to proclaim your praises. And we pray this week, men and women around us, just like last week at Bible school, that this week men and women will be rescued from sin and the devil and death and brought into the kingdom of Jesus. Give us opportunity, make us intentional about witnessing this week. And we pray these things to the praise and honor and glory of Jesus. Amen.